Good morning once again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to Shiloh Chapel. You know, someone once said, the man who has learned how to keep his friendships in perfect repair is a very wise workman indeed. That from F.W. Borum. Another quote, the only way to have a friend is to be one. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Dale Carnegie said it this way, you can make more friends in two months by being interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. The next quote, the final quote, I think I might not have exactly right, so pardon me, I'm quoting Steve Brown, who was probably quoting someone else. And I may have to read it to you twice to get it right, because the first time might, you might not get it. A true friend, in other words, the definition of a true friend, is someone who, after you have made a complete and total fool of yourself, even publicly, that true friend believes very sincerely that you have not done a permanent job of it. Let me read that again. A true friend is someone who, after you have made a complete and total fool of yourself, believes sincerely that you have not done a permanent job of it. A true friend. Today, as you may have guessed, we are on the subject of friendship and the basis of true friendship, which is love. So, let us begin with the opening verses, which is the greatest commandment. Read with me if you wish. You can just follow along if you wish. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, it goes like this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That neighbor is the word rea or rea, in Hebrew, and it is used for friend and neighbor and other terms. I think it's used like 180 some odd times in the Old Testament. Well, speaking of friends, I would like to bring up to you, read to you, if you will forgive me for this article, is from an article called Tweet Speak Poetry. And the article, I mean, it's from a website called Tweet Speak Poetry. And it, the art, name of the article is Great Friendship Tales, The Power of Sam and Frodo with Tolkien. Any uh, Tolkien fans here? The Lord of the Rings? Yes. You know, if you think about all of the different most gripping, most memorable stories in movies and in books, you think of The Lord of the Rings, you think of, you know, The Hobbit, but you also think of Star Wars and all that's in that. So many different stories are so enthralling, so gripping, and have such a long-standing impact on you. 
it because it, in the core of it, is about a true friendship that is tried and tested and is therefore true. One of the most well-known fictional friendships has its roots in a schoolboy club, a college society, and a group of academics who met weekly to discuss and read their works in progress. That was known as the Inklings and other groups like it that included J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. A fictional friendship is that of Samwise Gamgee and Frodo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The great trilogy is about many things, change, war, relationships, treachery, courage in the face of insurmountable odds. But the heart of the three books is the friendship between Sam and Frodo. In fact, it can be argued that the quest to destroy the Ring of Power would have failed without the friendship of the two hobbits. At first, Sam takes on the demeanor of the servant who will not let, quote, Mr. Frodo, end quote, go on his great journey alone. While we think of the hobbits as a charming group of, quote, unquote, halflings who like their jokes and their ale, the fact is that the Shire had its class distinctions, and Frodo is a higher class than Sam. Sam is ferociously loyal and just as courageous as his upper-class friend. He is also just as determined to fulfill the mission they've been given. When it appears that Frodo has been killed, Sam takes the ring and goes on alone. And they will travel to the fires of Mount Doom together, experiencing every peril imaginable. The literary roots of the friendship became between Sam and Frodo can be found in three gatherings Tolkien participated in during his life, all three of which were affected profoundly by the Great War. When Tolkien was a teen at King Edward's school in Birmingham, he and several other friends formed the TCBS, or Tea Club, and Barovian Society devoted to promoting beauty, literary discussions, and having fun, including jokes and pranks. Barovian society was a reference to their having tea at Barrow's department store. The TCBS remained in close touch well into 1915 when virtually all of them were involved in fighting World War II. Excuse me, World War I. Only two TCBS members, Tolkien and his friend Christopher Wiseman, would survive the war. The article goes on and on discussing friendship in great times of trials and in great times of creative uh, efforts, including that between Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Well, Jesus is speaking of us, the greatest commandment, loving God with all we have and loving our neighbor as ourself, Rhea, our friend and neighbor. Let's look at what the book of Proverbs says about this. The first several verses we are going to look at are on the subject of love, the basis of true friendship. Let us read this together. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The word love is used 526 times in this translation, the NIV, New International Version. However, there are a number of ancient Hebrew and Greek words translated into English 
in, in the word love. Today we're looking at the ancient Hebrew word chesed, or hesed, pronounced chesed, as is, it's a masculine noun, by the way. Its first mention in the Bible is in Genesis 19, 19, and the last is in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9. Chesed itself is used 249 times in the Old Testament. Most often we encounter this word in the book of Psalms. 26 times chesed is used in Psalm 136 alone. You got that? You may remember that psalm from the very famous phrase, for his loving kindness, chesed, endures forever. Amen, it does. Chesed is probably most memorably exemplified in the book of Ruth, in the story of Ruth and Boaz, where Ruth displayed sacrificial love when she forfeited her home and life to care for her mother-in-law, Naomi. When we see Boaz becoming the kinsman redeemer of Naomi's family through Ruth, we see Chesed at work again. In a remarkable way, that will eventually lead to the birth of our Messiah. So, let us get into this. In Proverbs chapter 3, we see this connection of command and rewards. Chapter 3, command and the rewards for following that command. Love, the loyal love that keeps a covenant or a commitment, that's what this is, Kesed. All great friendships, listen to me, all great friendships require great commitment. A great friendship requires great commitment to each other. And faithfulness refers to, de to dependability. Dependability. Are you dependable? Are you faithful? Are you a committed friend? Are you a committed friend? The two cardinal virtues of the Old Testament, not just the only two, but these are two cardinal virtues of the Old Testament, are linked in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 22, 16:6, and 20, verse 28. And both are attributes, holy attributes of Almighty God Himself. You got that? Love and faithfulness, loving kindness are attributes of Almighty God. What does it say? Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Isn't that something you would like to acquire? Good favor. Let's read the next verse. 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Hatred. Often today we are told that certain things are hatred, when in fact it's not really. Real true hatred is an attitude that misperceives or misinterprets everything that the object of hatred says or does by assuming evil and bad intentions. Have you ever had somebody assume the worst of you, the worst intentions of you, because of something you said or did? when in fact you had no such intentions at all. That is a sign that that person, in some way, shape, or form, hates you. 
I've experienced that. You see it a lot on social media, don't you? By virtue of whatever particular group you fall into, somebody who opposes those Bible-thumping, uh, self-righteous, arrogant, evangelical Christians, and there are a lot of those people out there, and it's growing at an alarming rate. Well, hatred always maligns the object of the hatred. Always. is always stirring up dissension or conflict. But look at the contrast. Remember, Proverbs, a proverb is a contrast. It's a comparison. We have contrastive proverbs. We have comparative um, (laughs) couplets, and so forth and so on. You're seeing that here. Love, by contrast, does not assume evil intent, but rather chooses not, chooses not, and I'm asking you if you do this or not, chooses not to let an offense by a friend push them into an anger that can destroy that friendship. Do you do that? Think about that. Seriously, think about that. Do you allow an offense by a friend to say, well, he's done, he's gone, he's dead to me? I can tell you from my own personal experience that when I I thought I was good friends with my supervisor at, a, at another company, and when I, at a company I worked for, I thought we were seriously good friends. As soon as I injured myself and had to go out on workers' comp the one time in my entire life, I was dead to him. That friendship wasn't real. A friendship I thought was very real was not real. Then when I went back, It looked like, oh, the friendship is real. This is a real friendship. As soon as I gave my notice, because I had become the pastor of Shiloh Chapel and could not continue to work the schedule that they had and be a decent pastor of Shiloh Chapel, once again, I was dead to him. He would not answer my calls or anything. It's painful when that happens. But it tells you that's a sign of who your true friends are. And one thing I want you to understand is, and this is something that I had, it took a long time in my life to come to understand this. Young people especially, you need to be told this and you need to listen to this. Just because someone is friendly to you in a particular set of circumstances does not mean they are your friend. You understand me? Just because people are friendly does not mean they are your friend. In fact, sometimes they are your worst enemy. Be aware of that. My supervisor was not my worst enemy. He just wasn't my friend like I thought he was. He's actually a good man and I'm not putting him down. He means well, but that was that. So, look at the contrast. Hatred stirs up conflict, but cover Love covers. It's not saying it ignores it completely. The difference is one is looking for a reason to cause conflict, is looking for a way to cause conflict, whereas the other one is looking for a way to avoid conflict, to, to smooth things over, to keep things in a good working relationship. You understand? Next verse. Read with me if you wish. A kind-hearted woman gains honor but ruthless men gain only wealth. 
Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. You see the contrast here? Again, this is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry. So you have the kind-hearted woman in verse 16, and you have also in verse 16, the ruthless man. That is the way they use the contrast in the couplets in Hebrew poetry, wisdom poetry, is they use the opposite. Kind-hearted woman, ruthless, mean, nasty man. Okay, that's the contrastive. But look at the difference. The woman, the kind-hearted woman, receives honor. People love the kind-hearted person. But people, the ruthless man may gain wealth. He may get rich from being ruthless. But notice in verse 17, those who are kind benefit themselves. They may not necessarily be doing it to benefit themselves, but they do benefit themselves because they get back. They have sown and they will reap what they get back. Do you get that? Whatever you sow, you will reap. It is a biblical principle. So the cruel man brought ruin upon himself ultimately. When his wealth failed, he found he was truly poor. Next verse. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. You know, the Bible said this for a long time, but it's only in relatively recent medical psychological history that people became aware that anxiety was a forerunner to depression. Did you know that? I was told that several years ago, that people who suffer from depression usually suffer from some kind of an undiagnosed anxiety disorder. And so, of course, you know, we, they'll do all kinds of different things to figure out exactly what the source of your anxiety is, and then they can solve your depression. In the meantime, they'll put you on drugs and everything else to solve it. You know, I'm not against those sort of things. I, I want you to be healthy. But do you know one thing that cures anxiety and depression? A kind word from a true friend. A gentle word from a true friend. Do you offer such things? Are you being a good friend? It's just a thought. Just a thought. Next verse. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Once again, we are seeing love and faithfulness together again. Love and faithfulness are like two cherished old friends. They go hand in hand through life. Love and faithfulness. The first line appears to be speaking of God's love and faithfulness because it's speaking of atoning for sin. The second line appears to be speaking of human character traits. Because only God has atoned for our sin. But it could be speaking of, of on a human level. Now, in all likelihood, this is speaking of God's expectation of spiritual fruit. You remember Galatians chapter 5? I've spoken of Gino having to speak Galatians chapter 5 in traffic jams. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 is this is sort of an Old Testament echo of, the, of Galatians 5, which is evidenced, by the way, this fruitfulness is evidence of a person 
whose sin has been atoned for, who is bearing fruit because they are in Christ. If you are not bearing spiritual fruit, the truth is you're probably not in Christ. That's the hard, painful truth, but that is the truth nonetheless. Next verse, 20 verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find? Again, we have love and faithfulness together again, like cherished old friends. Now this is a comparison or a contrastive uh, segue, if you will, to our next reference. Verse 25, verse 19. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Think of that. You ever broken a tooth? Chewing along and pow! I've done it a few times. And ah, oh, now it becomes a little bit more challenging to eat until you get that fixed. Not that that would necessarily be a problem for me. However, I move along. Have you ever injured your foot? I can tell you from my own personal experience, I've spent over 18 months on crutches because of ankle and knee injuries. You know, we rely on our teeth when we eat and our feet when we walk, but you cannot, I repeat, cannot rely on an unfaithful person. Do you want to make friends? Do you want to be a friend with an unfaithful person? It's an important question. Next verses, Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. Read with me if you wish. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Wow. Burning coals. <laughs> well, in verse 21, this loving your enemies concept mirrors Christ's command in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 47. We are to show love even toward our enemies. That's not normal and natural, is it? That is supernatural. And the reason why Christ commanded us to do this is, is specifically because it is supernatural. It is not natural man that does that. It is supernatural. You do it as a, as out of your love for God and, yes, love for your enemies in the hope that maybe one day, through that love, they will not be your enemy anymore. I've experienced that myself. Many years ago, a man who hated my guts and took, like we, I described in hatred earlier, this man attributed absolutely, this co-worker, absolutely everything I did to evil intent and spoke of it with every opportunity he had at Down East Energy many years ago when I worked for them. I had an opportunity to show kindness to the man a few times. He was getting married, and I gave him a couple's devotional Bible. And all of a sudden, he turned around. He did a 180. He went from putting me down at every opportunity to 
I mean, I didn't do it for this reason. I just wanted him not to be an enemy, and I was trying to be obedient to God. But he turned around and sang my praises and told everybody he would stand still long enough. That guy, I've been treating him like, you know what, for months, and he gave me a Bible for a gift when I got married. Can you imagine that? And it blew his mind. I'm giving you that as an example, not to pat myself on the back, okay? To be honest, the Bible was not terribly expensive. <laughs> but the illustration is still relevant. So, your enemy, you meet them, you show them love by giving them food and water. Now, mind you, when we do this, God rewards us even if the enemy doesn't. Are you with me? Say amen. Now, this heat burning coals, this is a weird saying, isn't it? Is it not a weird saying? Have you ever in your whole life taken burning coals and placed them on someone's head and thought that they would really like that? No, no. Well, so what does it mean? Well, there's a couple of different interpretations, and they don't contradict each other in any way. So I tend to think both of them are true. Heaping burning coals on his head is an odd phrase. It's an old axiom or euphemism that is usually interpreted as an intense humbling that our enemy will experience when they are forced to accept kindness and generosity from someone they don't like. Think about that. However, there are some scholars who think this phrase to an old custom of graciously giving a neighbor some burning coals from the cooking fire, that it is so that they may light a fire of their own more easily. This is the very definition of loving kindness. This is a history lesson in a tradition, heaping burning coals on their head. Proverbs 12, verse 26. Now we're getting into the practice of friendship. We've actually uh, just starting on this second phase of it of this sermon. Read with me if you will. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. It's self-explanatory, is it not? Choose your friends wisely. A wicked friend will lead you astray from the path of righteousness. Next verse. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Again, it's emphasizing what we just covered. Choose your friends wisely. Next verse. 14.7 says, Stay away from a fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. What benefit would you have in making friends with a fool? It's one thing to have an acquaintance. It's one thing to try to make friends with such a person in the hopes of winning them to Christ. That's a different story. But you do not bind up yourself in a committed friendship with that person because they will nearly always bring you down. It's why scripture says that when it comes time to, for dating or marrying, getting engaged, that we are not to be unequally yoked. If a believer chooses to bond with an unbeliever and think, well, I'll win him to Christ or I'll win her to Christ. It almost never works out that way. It almost never works out that way. I won't say it always goes awry, goes awry but it frequently does. Next verse. 
Proverbs 17, 17. Read with me at the famous verse. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend and a brother are both valuable supporters because they will remain faithful to you when you need help. Are you with me? Are you with me? <laughs> I know. I get it. This next verse is also a famous verse. 1824. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is building upon the principle in the verse we just read, 1717. A loyal and committed friend may be even closer to you than your own blood brothers. You know who is often referred to when we speak of a friend who sticks closer than a brother? The Lord Jesus Christ. This very verse is often spoken of when speaking of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you are in Christ, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the very epitome, the very embodiment, the very embodiment of these principles we are speaking of. Next verses. 25, chapter 25, verses 16 and 17. If you find honey, eat just enough, not too much of it, or too much of it, and you will vomit. Get that picture. Imagine eat, drinking or eating by the tablespoon, tablespoon after tablespoon after tablespoon of honey. Oh, it's delicious. It's delicious. But after a while, it's, it starts to, oh, this isn't, I think I'm going to be ill. Well, let's look at the next verse. Seldom set your foot in a neighbor's house. Too much of you and they will hate you. Compare and contrast. Because your friend loves you does not mean they always want you in their living room. This is a practical bit. Because your friend loves you and you love them does not mean that they want you to call them three to five times a day and each time spend 30 to 60 minutes on the phone with them. Okay? Do not wear out your welcome. Don't wear it out. It's great that you have that great friendship, but Proverbs is very practical here. This is practical, godly wisdom. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Perfume and incense were often used for festive occasions and celebrations in this time period. In the same way, a good friend who gives good advice and counsel is like the pleasant scent of perfume, the pleasant aroma of incense. 27, 9, and 10. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. Again, that neighbor, rea, same word used for friend. 
do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go to your relative's house. Why did they say that? Because frequently a relative would be further away. But in this Israelite culture, this Hebrew, ancient Hebrew culture, their family ties were so tight. And I suspect that that's not just exclusive to that, to that group or to that time period. There are certain cultures, perhaps it's part of your family culture, not to turn to the nearby friend or neighbor when you need help, but to call your brother that lives an hour away or two hours away and say, brother, can you help me? When in fact you may have a neighbor right down the street or somebody you already know who can help you. Call upon your friend. Call upon your neighbor instead. Practical advice. And that is the end, and I'm about to close. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Wow, how is that possible? Let me close with this illustration. There's a man, an author named Julius Siegel, who wrote a book, and the title of which I didn't write down, and I've already forgotten, so I apologize. But Julius Siegel wrote of this situation with Admiral James B. Stockdale. He was a heroic survivor, Admiral Stockdale was, James B. Stockdale, of 2,714 days as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Can you imagine that? 2,714 days as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. Admiral Stockdale's torturous experience in one account is written here by Julius Siegel, the author. He says this, the admiral was handcuffed with his arms behind his back and his legs in irons and was taken out into the bright, hot sunlight of the courtyard so other prisoners could see what happened to those who did not cooperate with the enemy. The heat sapped his strength as he lay there for three days. But whenever he, whenever he tried to sleep, the guards beat him mercilessly. As Stockdale neared his breaking point, he heard a towel snapping out in a prison code, the letters of which he understood. And the letters were G, B, U, J, S. It stood for God bless you, Jim Stockdale. It was a message he would never forget, and it gave him renewed strength to endure. And he survived later on to become a vice presidential candidate with Ross Perot. That did not go far, unfortunately. But you know what? The anonymous person snapping that towel to that code sent out a lifeline to Jim Stockdale. And he lived and endured through absolute torture because a friend, yet unknown, remembered that he could send him the signal and kept him alive. Friends, I want you to understand how valuable your friendship is. Jesus is our greatest friend, and he wants us to be a friend as well. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. 
Well, that's the most important friendship. And I return to love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And likewise, to love your neighbor, your friend, as much as you love yourself. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this message, for your word. I thank you for your blessing. I pray, Lord, that you make this message go home and sink deep, that you use this as seeds to bring forth fruit in the lives of all who heard it. I pray that you bless them all. Bless everyone who heard this message, Father, in helping them to remember it and to live it, to be full of love, even for their enemies, and especially for their friends. To be a true friend is to gain true friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.